<laughs> so some of you could relate to that uh, scrolling a little too much, and you're like, wow, I'm getting old. And some of you were thinking you were going to wait the rain out and come to the 11 o'clock service, didn't you? Yeah, it's funny how things don't always work out the way we thought they were going to work out. So this morning in the scriptures, we're actually going to, because of what just Brian demonstrated for us, that life passes us faster than we think, we're going to take a step out of the gospel of Mark, and we're not going to look at a Jesus encounter today. Rather, we're going to look at a, a number of scriptures on this topic called future stewardship. This is... Quite frankly, a portion of this teaching I have is brand new in my own thinking. So we're going to look first at stewardship and then look very specifically at the idea of future stewardship. Now, if some of you are younger and you're thinking, oh, this has nothing to do with me, I can encourage you. At our Thursday night service, we had a whole group of some young 20s come in for their second time, and I thought, oh, they're going to go, I can't believe we're talking about money. One of the guys, young 20s, came up afterwards and said very gratefully, hey, the church is mostly new to me, but this is really exactly what I needed to hear in my life right now. So regardless of what age, we got some teenagers up here in the front row, regardless of what age you are, the idea of stewardship is not for a specific age group. And then the idea of future stewardship will be very, very powerful, I think, for many of us. So when we talk about stewardship, I don't want you to think, in light of what the graphic says, I don't want you to think numbers. When we think stewardship, there's a different word. When Jesus speaks to the issue in Matthew chapter 6, he says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he's going to hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't do both. And specifically, what's Jesus talking about? Well, we don't have to wonder. Next sentence, he tells us exactly what he has in mind. You can't serve God and wealth. And if there's one thing I'm confident of, it's that lots of us wish we could. No, I want to be able to serve God and money. And Jesus is simply saying, what's true about my heart, what's true about your heart is this. Look, look up here, please. Here's what's going to happen. Either God's going to be here and wealth is going to be here or wealth is going to be here and God's going to be here. You don't get this as much as you try, as hard as you try, no matter what you wish, you don't get this. You get this or you get this. You love the one and hate the other. You devoted to one and despise the other. This is a heart issue, not a numbers issue. It's a heart issue. See, right before Jesus had said that, he had said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So what you put your treasure in, you put it in your wealth, your heart's going to be there. You put your treasure in the Lord, your heart's going to be there. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. So at the core to stewardship is a heart issue and a very specific heart issue. When we talk about the foundational truth, I'd really, I should have probably actually said the foundational truth, singular, for godly stewardship. I think it all flows out of this. First Chronicles 29 says, and there's lots of words here, so don't get lost in all the words of the text. He says, yours, O Lord, 
is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth is what? Yours, O Lord. This is his point. Everything I can think of is yours, O Lord. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Why? Because he is, right? Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. So the core foundational truth to an understanding of stewardship is this heart issue that God is the owner. Now, whose hand is it in? (laughs) This is the tricky part. God puts stuff, wealth, in our hands. And once it gets in our hands, we can tend to think, hmm, mine. Those fingers automatically go, mine. But this foundational truth to stewardship is it all belongs to the Lord So even though it's in my hand, it actually belongs to him. He is the owner of everything. And everything I have has only been given to me. It was his, and it was his to give, and he gave it to me. The reality, though, is this. You and I often lose sight of that simple foundational truth. We lose sight of the fact that it's the Lord's, and it was just a gift. Uh, To one degree or another, we have all been Nebuchadnezzar. What I mean by that is in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar is out. He's the king of Babylon. He's on his roof of his house, and he's looking out over his kingdom, and he's having this party for himself. He says, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? You ever said something you wish you wouldn't? (laughs) We all have, probably none as much as Nebuchadnezzar, because what it says is this, while the word, while that While that party for himself was going on, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Which is interesting. If sovereignty can be removed from you, you actually never had sovereignty in its fullest, right? (laughs) Because if you're sovereign, you can't, somebody can't take it from you. But the point is this. You have been given a role of sovereignty, and you thought you were sovereign. And so I'm going to take it from you just to prove that you're not. And you'll be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize. And don't miss this. This is straight from the text. Here's what I desperately need to recognize every single day about every single thing in my hand. Until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he bestows it, how? 
on whomever he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar, is Babylon great? Yes, but not by the work of your hand. It's been by my choice. I am the sovereign one. You are not the sovereign one. See, once, once stuff gets in our hands, the greatest challenge is to keep my heart clear that it's in my hands, but it's not mine, and I didn't earn it or deserve it. It was simply a gift. So I am not going to throw a party for me because of what's in my hand. Uh, very, very practical. I, I don't know if maybe I'm the only crazy one, but very, very practical you have a fault, you see something, you see the work of your hand, you see a new car, a new appliance, you see your house, you see a new business, and you, can, you might be tempted to step back and go, wow. As soon as that happens, <laughs> you need to run like mad. Now, somebody a second hour went, run where? Run to repentance. In other words, very clearly, if the fault ever occurs to you, man, look at that. Look what I've done. Look what I have. Look what I've accumulated. As soon as that thought comes into your mind, you say this, I'm a fool, Lord. And I repent of that thought. It has not been the work of my hand. That has been the grace and mercy that has, you have chosen to bless me with. This is the work of your hand, and I am only grateful. I'm not responsible. We need to have those conversations so consistently because I know the thoughts that run through our head and they need to be taken captive and truth spoken to them. Lord, I'm a fool. I don't believe that. I don't want to eat grass. This is your goodness. It's been your grace in my life. So if, if what's in my hand is actually his, that I am not the owner even though it's in my hand, I'm not the owner. You know what that makes me? It makes me what the scripture calls a steward. This is where we get this whole idea of stewardship. Because I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. And a steward simply is someone who has in their hand stuff that does not belong to them. It belongs to somebody else, but they have been placed in, it's been placed in their hand for the sake that they would then manage that stuff, that wealth in this case, to the priorities of the owner. This is what's so dangerous about the thought of ownership. Because once I think it's mine, then I think very naturally... Oh, what's mine to do with what I want then? I mean, how many times have you heard in our culture, hey, it's my body. Uh, no, it's actually not. That's the Lord's body. And therefore, it's intended to be used according to his priorities, not for whatever you wish. The stuff in your portfolio, the stuff in your wallet, the stuff in your accounts, it's not yours. And therefore, it's not yours to do with what you want. It's yours to manage according to the owner's priorities. So, again, whether you're a teenager with an allowance or a 22-year-old with a new salary or you're a 55-year-old trying to get ready 
for the next season of life. It's not ours. It's the Lord's. So what do we do with the Lord's stuff? Well, there's three practices and principles that go with those practices from the scriptures. The practices are very simple. What do we do with the stuff he's placed in our hand? We're intended to spend it. We're intended to save it. And we're intended to share it. Those are simply simply the, the practices of a steward. Now, you may have been surprised. What, we're supposed to spend his money? Sure. Spend his money on what? Well, the scripture says, don't miss this, the scripture says very clearly that we are to work hard and provide for ourselves. Never underestimate the godly value of hard work and providing for yourself, paying for your, paying your own bills, providing for you and your family. That is spending according to biblical principles. So we spend as a steward. But there are then some principles that the scripture gives on how we would spend, how we would save, and how we would share. And let me show them to you quickly. Lots of verses. I've picked a few. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Here's why. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, he's not saying don't spend money. The reality is we do spend money. But he is saying as you spend money for stuff on earth, what should you recognize about everything? And I mean everything you buy, what must we recognize about it? (laughs) What? It's not going to last. (laughs) Either corrosion or rot or Irma or somebody else named by, is going to take it away. You can buy it, but it might flood. You can buy it, but a tree might fall on it. You can buy it, but somebody might rip it off. The reality is that we can't live in this world and not spend. We're, we live in this world as stewards, and we spend according to our responsibility before the Lord to provide for ourselves and our families. But in our spending, we have to recognize whatever we can buy on this planet won't last. Some level of deterioration is going to happen no matter what you buy. So... Spend, but spend wisely. If you're thinking you can spend in a way that will give you treasure that will last, you can't. So spend, but, but don't foolishly spend. That is, spend all your stuff on stuff that won't last. So we spend to the glory of God wisely. Second, How do we save? There's a great picture here in Proverbs. There is, he says, precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Can you picture that? The wise guy, the foolish guy, they have equal amounts of provision. The wise guy does what? He uses some of it and then 
saves some of it. The foolish guy scarfs it all up. Do you know, can you relate to that? I can. Just put a plate of snack food in front of me. I'm serious. Jackie will go, oh, you got to get, because she'll put a bunch of stuff in front of me and I enjoy it. And then I eat it, and then I'm full and then I keep eating. How long do I eat snack food? How many of you, really, how many of you can relate to this? How long do I, how much snack food do I eat? Until it's gone. Long, 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 long after I was satisfied, I keep eating. So I'll try and put something on the other side. Or sometimes because we have a, a... Monday lunch for planning, and then we have a Tuesday staff meeting where it's bring your lunch, and I always forget to bring my lunch. So I've tried to learn to order a lunch on Monday and order the co box with my lunch. So literally, what do you want? Well, I'd like a sandwich with fries and a to-go box. Oh, you're not eating here? Yeah, I'm eating here. They bring it to me, cut it in half, put it in the box, close the lid, and try and get it as far away from me as possible. Because if it stays on my plate, even if I'll get, I'll just eat half of it and save the rest for tomorrow. You know what I'll do? Uh, swallow it up. And that's what happens to lots of us with our resources. We have good aspiration. Oh no, we're going to save this month. And somehow by the the end of the month, we swallowed it up. Or by the end of the year, we swallow. And and we say stuff like that. Where did it all go? Well, one way or another, we found, uh, swallowed it up. And so there is wisdom, stewardship. Wisdom is that I will save, and the word I put with it is responsibly. And I put save responsibly for this reason. I think on a continuum, there is the one extreme where there is no saving involved, and then there is the other extreme of too much saving. We might call it hoarding. Did you see the tweet in Hurricane Irma? Why is it that people who have lived on three Diet Cokes a day for years now think they need cases of water? You seen that? People are like barely pushing the cart through the grocery store because it's so full of water. They haven't drank that much water in a year. But suddenly it's like the next two weeks. Really? I, I, I am absolutely confident that we had plenty of water in the state of Florida until everybody decided they needed three cases per person per day. That's crazy. And a bunch of it's stacked in your garage. There is a, a reality that we can, even when it comes to dollars, we can save too much. So what's responsible? Well, if I don't save, I'm ignoring the uncertainty of tomorrow. And scripture is very clear that we should live today in light of the uncertainty of tomorrow. Because there's abundance today does not mean that winter will not be tomorrow. Abundance today does not mean there won't be barrenness tomorrow. So don't be the person that swallows it all up today. But then there's the too much 
saving. And the too much saving, the, the extreme is that it ends up fixing the hope on the uncertain riches. If I just save enough, I won't have anything to worry about. If that's the thought, guess what? You have placed your confidence in riches. That Do you know what the scripture, the picture the scripture gives to riches? Wings. That riches can take wings and just, like a birdie, fly right out the window. And so you may go, now I'm going to save so much that I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Well, in trying to overcome the uncertainty of tomorrow, don't lose sight of the uncertainty of riches. I think the Proverbs chapter 30 captures this responsible balance really well. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. I love this. My portion. Why? That I not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? I got it all stockpiled. Who needs him? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. You see that? I don't want to be the fool who doesn't save and end up profaning the name of the Lord nor do I want to be the fool who thinks I can save so much. Who needs the Lord? You see the continuum? Do you know where you fall? Because all of us fall on that continuum one place or another. We either, and saving responsibly is a difficult, so if you come up and ask me, okay, so what's the right number? I don't know. Genuinely, I don't know. Here's the deal, though. When it comes to saving, excuse me, spending, saving, and sharing, we tend to think, well, as long as we are faithful with our sharing, then the, the spending, saving part's for us to figure out. Actually, I would say, if it's all the Lord's, is all of it or just the portion we give? Yeah, it's all the Lord's, then our prayer ought to be equal about our spending, our saving, and our sharing. Equal. Too many of us pray only about our sharing and not really asking the Lord about our saving or really ever asking the Lord about our spending. Have you ever asked the Lord about your spending before you click here? Lord, is this what you would want me to use your stuff for. So sharing. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Okay, um, tech, just stop. If you fit in this text, let me see your hand. Okay, quite frankly, I should see everybody's hand right now. Because we are the richest of the rich for centuries. Even if you have created a lifestyle where you live month to month and you're going, we're struggling to get by, we're the richest of the rich. We've simply created lifestyles that always take us to the max. So this text is, this text is, if this text isn't for us, this text isn't for anybody. 
This text is for us. So don't be thinking about the high net worth people in the room only. This is all of us. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. First of all, don't be conceited. Why not? Why not be conceited? Because can I just be as direct as possible? You, have, you had zero to do with why you were born here and now. Zero. I mean, have you never asked yourself as you've looked at the world and looked at history and simply said, Lord, why me? Why here? Why now? How is it that you chose that I would be born and engaged into this portion, this small slice of a very big world in this time in history? You had zero to do with it, so you have zero reason to be conceited about it. The proud American's a fool because we had zero to do with it. Serious. Now, that's offensive to you. We're, we're foolish when we think of ourselves as proud Americans. No. 100%. What did he tell Nebuchadnezzar? It's his to distribute to whomever he chooses. So am I grateful? Am I thankful? Do I believe that I'm blessed in a unique way that, that God has chosen to call me to be born and live where I am the rich? Yeah. Don't be conceited. Don't be proud. And, and don't fix hope on the uncertainty of riches. When we fix hope on the uncertainty of riches, we make foolish decisions. But fix the hope where? On God, who's the one who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, he says. So this is for us. Instruct CFC. Instruct us to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready. That's a key word. And ready to share. It doesn't say, and want to share, because there's a big, big difference between wanting to share and being ready to share. Because lots of people go, man, I want to help. Whoops. Where did it all go? Big difference between wanting to share and ready to share. And the instruction for us who are rich is that we would be ready to share, not just want to share, ready to share how? To share generously. So a steward before the Lord, what's in my hand, it's not mine, I didn't deserve it, it's a gift. The owner's priorities are that I spend wisely, I save responsibly, and I share generously. Reality is, and I put it in this order, because sharing generously often gets intercepted by what? <laughs> Foolish spending or irresponsible saving. What intercepts your generous sharing? For me, for me, that which I honestly have to wrestle with is not the spending wisely. Those who 
uh, know me, like to harass me of being cheap. I like to call it efficient. It's a much nicer word. Efficient. But efficiency translated, watch, to this. Spend wisely so you can save generously and share responsibly. Really grateful that my parents taught me to spend wisely. And they taught me to save responsibly and share generously, but my twisted heart went, yeah, I'm going to spend wisely so I can share, so that I can save really generously and share then responsibly. This is, this is why, if you've been at the chapel, you know I'm very passionate that we understand that the New Testament does not mandate an exact percentage for our sharing, that we do not teach tithing at the chapel because the tithing mentality is that if I take all the stuff that God has placed in my hand and I take 10% of it and give it back to him, then watch, whoop, the rest is mine. But the New Testament doesn't mandate a tithing. The New Testament mandates spend wisely, save responsibly, and share generously. And not an exact percentage. It's not a God tax, according to different wealth brackets. It's a privilege to be able to say, spend, save, and share. So part of the work of the Lord in my own heart, in our own family, has been to say, I got to get these two right. And the Lord knows whether I'm getting it right. I feel like I think I'm getting it better. We've tried to put practices that would flip that to be appropriate. So that's my story. The reality is, I think most of you here can go, well, either, hey, man, I got it all right. Good for you. Or you're going, mm, I got some of these I spend generously. <laughs> you got them a little twisted up. I hope this morning you'll take the simple scripture that we've looked at, think about this stewardship and go, I got to get my fingers pried back off and get my principles in line. One of the things that we have equipping classes here at the chapel, not because people are bored. <laughs> we have equipping classes because we need truth to shape our thinking and our living. We need truth to shape our practices, to shape how we live life. And so if you're going, man, <laughs> if you looked at my financial practices, it wouldn't look anything like that. It looked like a hand grenade blew it up. Then I hope that you will make the most of, we have two classes, one of which is almost always being offered at the chapel. Right now, navigating your finances God's way, that's a compass. 
Bible study that seeks to teach godly stewardship. Next semester, we'll do Dave Ransby's Financial Peace University because we did that the previous semester. So we're almost always doing one of these. And we do them regularly for this reason. It's a heart issue. And it takes diligence and humility and attention to keep our heart aligned biblically when it comes to what's in our pocket. So, how many, how many of you have taken Navigating Finances God's Way? Can I see your hand? Anybody in this room? Only a few in this room. Lots of opportunity. How many of you have done Dave Ramsey? Financial, okay. More in here. Lots of opportunity. Now, you may go, no, I'm doing it perfectly. Way to go. You could come help, teach, help us teach the class then. So that's stewardship, and this is where I would normally end. But we're not doing stewardship only. We're doing future stewardship. So instead of ending, this is what happened in my life. These are my four grandkids. This is Hattie when she just turned two uh, a couple of weeks ago. Kate, four months a couple of weeks ago. Piper, who lives here in Jacksonville, and her one month about two weeks ago. And Joseph, who was born last Sunday afternoon, which I didn't get make it in time, but I saw it happen on FaceTime. So why am I showing you these pictures? Because well, I'm the grandfather and I get to have control over PowerPoint. So that's why I'm showing you the pictures, number one. But second, I'm showing you this because stewardship has a new category in my thinking. Did you know the Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Do you know the scripture said that? I can't wait to tell my children that. <laughs> that the scripture says the inheritance is for the children's children. So have a few more children, children. It, now, I'm fooling there. What, what, what so powerfully speaks to me about this is that stewardship has always been reserved in my thinking thus far to my generation. That what the Lord has put in my hand, I am responsible to spend and save and share as long as I am alive. And I have not sufficiently, and this is a confession, I have not sufficiently given thought to stewardship that extends beyond me and my life. And so, maybe for some of you are going, really? Well, what an idiot, man. I've been thinking about this for years. Well, I hadn't. And so, I want to introduce future stewardship, that which not only spends wisely, saves responsibly, shares generously, but plans generationally, that, that you and I would begin to recognize, and don't let me say this and it just run right past you. So I'll shut up. You write plan generationally because I want you to hear this. All right, here's my zeal for this. 
with what God has placed in our hands. And it hadn't been equal. He's put more stuff in some hands than others. Have you noticed that? I know you have. (laughs) Whatever God has placed in your hand, you and I have a phenomenal opportunity to steward it in a way that does not only impact now this generation. You can steward what God has placed in your hand so that 80 years from now, what God placed in your hand is still reflecting his heart, the owner's heart. Long after you die, long after I die, I can still be stewarding beyond the grave that I might be able to have an influence, not just here and now, and I want to have an influence here and now, but to be able to impact not just my generation and my current stewardship, but the next generation and the next generation. That's just phenomenal. You and I can do that if we plan generationally. So, just a practical statement. This one might catch you off guard. To plan generationally, very practically, is to establish a will. And the power of the will, establishing a will, is just what I said. It's allowing you to continue stewardship priorities beyond the grave. And I'm surprised by this, but maybe I shouldn't be. 70% of Americans actually die without a simple will. 70% of Americans don't exercise stewardship beyond the grave. They only steward according to their generation, and they miss the incredible biblical privilege of stewarding according to their generation, the next generation, and the next generation. Wow, to have 80 year of impact. Because you said, I'm not going to be that person. Now, at first I thought, no, there's no way, 70%. And then I thought, well, I was that 70% for a long time. You know how long? This is a little embarrassing to say. Jackie and I were married 20 years, six kids. And I got an idea one day. I called Jackie and said, hey, I know what I want us to do for our 20th anniversary. She was like, what? And she had, I'm sure, had all the things. And I said, go to Israel. And she was like, well, wives, moms, what was her first question? Is it safe? And I was like, ah, it'll be all right, which is what dads and husbands always say. Yeah, it'll be all right. We'll be fine. And then Hezbollah started, this was 2006, and Hezbollah started launching missiles into northern Israel. And I decided we should get a will. (laughs) Really, I was like, we should probably get a will. That's for both of us. And I say that now, and I think, I cannot believe I went 20 years in marriage, and I had six kids and had not established a simple will. That is negligence on my part. Because, and guys, if you've been on the men's retreat, you know my 
burden that we as men would understand that we are individually the pastors of our home. We are the responsible spiritual shepherds for the people that God has placed in our care. And for me, this was negligence. I just didn't really think about it. I was shepherding as long as I was present, but I had not thoroughly and thoughtfully went, well, what will happen if the Lord takes me home and leaves them here? I don't know. That's negligence to that be the answer. So the Lord used uh, our 20th anniversary to bring to my attention that I ought to be able to establish something that allows stewardship priorities to go beyond the grave. See, it's a responsible planning. This is in your message, Mama, just some thoughts for it. Responsible planning for providing for your family. It's an opportunity to bless your grandchildren, like Proverbs says. And it, and it can protect from the too much or the too soon. You know what I mean by that? Just think of what happens to young 20-something professional athletes who get boatloads of money and then 20 years later have so little to show for. I'm not down on them. I'm recognizing there is a too much, too soon principle that as a shepherd of my home, I want to protect from in establishing a will. Again, I publicly honor my dad who taught me very clearly to spend wisely, to save responsibly, to share generous. He's very generous and who I should have picked it up, but I thought this was just for old people and I'm not old, obviously. Brian is, but I am not. <laughs> he, he planned generationally. So years ago, he said, you need to know that I have a fundamental conviction that nobody has been benefited greatly by being given large sums of money. And so here's the allotment that you'll receive. He told each of us four kids, here's the allotment of what you'll receive. And you may think, oh, isn't, I thought there was a lot more. There is. And I'm going to give that elsewhere. I'm going to give some to you. I'm going to give some to the grandkids. But the vast majority I'm going to give because of the too much too soon. You may go, oh, isn't that a bum? No. I'm actually genuinely grateful for my father's protective shepherding and leading in our family just to recognize if God has given you great net worth, you should genuinely ask yourself, is it really the best thing just to pass it on to the next generation? Would there be any danger of too much too soon? See, when we see it happen, we shouldn't be surprised. It's straight from the scripture. The scripture says, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. There's, there can definitely be too much too soon. So establish a will and bring wisdom to the shepherding beyond the grave. And then, second practical application, establish a plan to maximize kingdom impact. I loved this statement when I heard it. I would much rather give to my favorite father than to my least favorite uncle. Do you know what that means? So I, I, some folks afterwards like, 
Oh, I didn't realize you meant Uncle Sam and pay taxes. So I'm not against paying taxes. That I have to pay and that I should pay. But when it comes down to it, if there's an opportunity after I die and there's the passing on of wealth and the passing on of whatever it is, little, medium, or a lot, if there's a passing on and I get to choose whether this much goes to the government and this much goes to the kingdom or this much goes to the government and this much goes to the kingdom, it's, it takes me this long to make that decision. Okay, I made it. That's an easy call. I don't have to think about that at all. Of, of course, be clear. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. So I'm absolutely in full agreement that is God-glorifying stewardship to pay required taxes. I am not encouraging you to the glory of God become a tax evader. That is not what I'm saying. Please understand, it is to the owner's glory that you pay your taxes. Going to jail for tax evasion is not to the glory of God. That's not good stewardship. But I equally agree that it's God-glorifying stewardship to pay, to not pay, avoidable taxes. If I can translate that which would have gone to taxes and translate it into the kingdom, of course I would do that. And here's the great news. I'm not smart enough to know how to do that, but there are people who are. Legally. And then, and I trust me, I, I always try and tell you when I, I'm speaking clearly from Scripture and when I know something, and then here's some stuff. I'm going to repeat some words. I don't, I'm not even sure what they mean. I've just been told. And they go, oh, that makes sense to me. I'd like to avoid that. How many of you like fees? That's what I thought. You like to avoid... <laughs> yeah, the one who doesn't have any fees likes them. <laughs> if you have fees, you're like, oh, I avoid fees at all possible. There are, there is, in the process of transferring wealth something called probate. I don't even know entirely what that means. But what I've read and what I've been told is that for the person who does not plan generationally, the things that you, the resources that you would hope would go to your father are going to get eaten up in probate. I mean, how all that works. You just know there's fees and court and that sort of thing that can be avoided if you'll plan generationally. Well, folks, that's, that's a no-brainer to me. Just tell me what I need to do. I would much rather have kingdom impact. Pay my taxes as I should, but as much as possible have kingdom impact. And I think vast majority of you would as well. And so, just want to make sure that we understand. When Brian, at the beginning, introduced this fun, set your house in order, it's not. Someone go, oh, that's for retired people? Well, so, yes, but only retired people? <laughs> no, no. There were huge gaps here 
in my own life, and probably for some of you that are long from retirement. So think of it this way. We do Financial Peace University, and we do the crown class to equip you to watch. We do those classes to equip you to be a good steward for this generation. This is an opportunity to learn and to take practical steps in being a good steward for the next generation and the next generation. So you can get fixed in the next 15, 20, 30, 40 years or go 80 years beyond that and really think about stewardship for the next 90, 100, 120 years if the Lord tarries. That's opportunity, folks. That's an incredible opportunity that lots of us just hadn't thought about. So that'll be an opportunity for future stewardship. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the incredible privilege. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be privileged to be a steward. I want to, again, just publicly declare my desire that my fingers would never curl around that which is yours, that I would stay clear with a clean and pure heart as a steward, never venturing into ownership. And Lord, when those thoughts come, that there would be quick repentance, not only in my heart, but Lord, that'd be true for all of us. And then, Lord, that we would see not only the now, but the later, and the opportunity to be a blessing, to reflect your heart. Thanks for that privilege. And I pray that you would grow us up, grow me up to the praise of your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here. As always, we'd be glad to pray for you. And so either you might stay in here for prayer over out the back of the South Auditorium. We'd love to pray for you if we can in some way. God bless.